Welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by Adrian, Maybridge, Benjamin to discuss the topic of how to maintain team culture whilst working remotely. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. Maybridge, I'm going to come to you first. Well, thank you. Thank you, Sam. Well, I'm Maybridge. And uh, my current role is being a product and development manager at EG. EG is uh, creating a lot of vertical software solutions to different industries and markets. And uh, in my department, there are 18 skilled people in a cross-cultural hybrid setup, and they are split into two teams. So therefore, this team culture is a very interesting topic for me and my everyday work and uh, something I as a leader see great value in. So I expect for this dialogue today to bring me some new inspiration to my own setup and I'm really happy to be able to participate with you guys today. Thanks. Likewise, Maybrid, we're really happy to have you on uh, and looking forward to this discussion. Adrian, we're coming to you next, my friend. Thank you. So I'm Adrian, Adrian, I just, uh, I answered by the intent. I don't care so much about the pronunciation, but uh, I've been working in multicultural and kind of remote distributed uh, environments for quite a while. I'm working now for SumUp, a uh, global uh, fintech specialized, especially on, on payments uh, player with presence in more than 27 countries, I think, to, at the moment. So we have a very global uh, footprint and I'm my background is that I am a, a software engineer and uh, I'm working as the director of engineering in one of the tribes here at SumUp in SumUp Invoices and as part of the work we have quite a lot of both remote collaboration and also distributed and I would separate it because distributed can be when you're working across different hubs but people are still working in different locations and remote can be i don't know everyone at their own home or working you know in a, on a staycation and things like that and i have been trying to work better remote already since my time when i was living in amsterdam because it was a great way to attract talent and work with people with the best people from abroad so that's something i'm quite interested in and um will have some learnings both for the good and for the bad so i hope that it can reach and we can have a nice conversation about the topic. I'm sure we will. And Adrian, thanks for coming on again. Uh, it's not your first radio for, for the podcast, which is great. Benjamin, over to you, last but not least. Yeah, thank you. Uh, can you hear me? Wonderful. I just wanted to make sure that the microphone is working. Uh, I'm Benjamin and um, I'm located in Copenhagen, uh, working for an NGO organization, uh, which is part of uh, a greater federation uh, care care Denmark and my role is head of IT and digitalization basically um, I'm responsible for all the uh, digital products that we are developing uh, uh, in Denmark as well as uh, around the globe uh, we work uh, a lot in uh, many other countries uh, many other regions especially in Africa and Asia um, Thank you. Thank you too, Benjamin. Great to have you on. Now that we've established a context around each view, let's work our way over to the topic in focus. You all have a question around how to maintain team culture whilst working remotely in distributed teams. And as usually, we'll work our way around the room to pose your questions and the reason behind it. And you'll each have an opportunity to give your fantastic insight. Adrian, I believe we're starting with your question here. And the question 
well, the first one that you're putting to everyone is back to the office movement. What is the value that they can get from working from the same location? And how do we make it more attractive and effective to work together, but also keep it flexible, right? And I'm going to come to you for some, I suppose, context before we pass it around. Yes. So I, I think this comes from the RTO, the return to office uh, that has been mandated in some companies, especially in tech around the world, like for example, Amazon has, it was announced some months in, a, uh, in advance and then it was applied and there are more companies following and it's kind of, it feels like a rebound from, you know, from the COVID times when we proved that we could work remotely, but now it seems like, well, even if we can't, we don't want to. And I think there are proven benefits for our teams, for our, for ourselves as employees, but there are also some drawbacks and some catches and some not so good parts. And I would like to hear, yeah, what are your thoughts on what are the good parts that we should keep from the learnings that we have had on this, let's say, let's call it the COVID remote experiment. And what are the things that we have also learned that maybe we didn't appreciate so much and we now appreciate more? It's a great question, Adrian. Thank you. Maybrit, I believe we're starting with yourself. Yeah, I, I believe I see all type of different preferences within my team. Some love to be at the office, some love to be remote. But uh, in my uh, my belief, they've found some kind of their own schedule for meeting at the office. It, it had to be facilitated after COVID for them to get started doing it. But now it's it seems natural that they have special days where they meet up. And I see it's also very much depending on the, the project they are working on. If there is a high complexity, they choose to go more to the office to work closer together and have these face-to-face -face interactions where they can use their body language some more and see facial expressions. They can really foster good communication and understanding. So I see it's really great being back to the office when they want to do some intense brainstorming or problem solving, but also um, those spontaneous interactions and the casual conversations, the coffee machine talks and all of that. It's something that is much more used at the office than than outside the office. So I, I feel like I see they found a way, a new hybrid way uh, by themselves now. And it's it's really, really working for us. Thank you, Maybrid. Adrian, have you got any comments before we pass over to, to Benjamin? Anything you can add? Uh, it's, no, I think it's very insightful and it's that's what it's also like in my mind and it's like how do we make this people-centric so people get benefited and then also because when people are happy, they're engaged, etc., that will also benefit the organization that we're all working together for and it seems to be like one of the directions that it has gone off, giving people the flexibility and some autonomy on, on choosing how how to work. Thank you. Benjamin, have you got anything to add? to Adrian and, and Mabel. Yes, of course. of course. I think I think we all uh, are just uh, very much experienced now in terms of uh, working remotely from home and as well as uh, just joining our colleagues at the office. Um, so the fact is, um, uh, you know, as human beings, I think uh, it's an advantage to have um, uh, the option to come to the office and meet in person with our colleagues and team members. But at the same time, I think it's also a very good exercise that we have the opportunity to work from uh, home. 
some days. Uh, for example, at my workplace, we have uh, uh, allowed our team members to work uh, two days from home and then three days uh, they just uh, meet at the office. And um, I believe that uh, working from same location has a lot of benefits in which I think we should not, uh, uh, you know, um, disvalue it. Um, uh, for example, one of the very good advantages is just just fosters the collaboration and innovation, you know, in personal interactions and um, uh, dialogue, uh, as my brain also mentioned, just uh, uh, provides a very good context for brainstorming, uh, innovative activities, just uh, come together and uh, uh, build something together or develop a concept together is always very much more productive when we meet at the office face-to-face. Uh, -face. Um, uh, it also uh, provides a very strong uh, company culture because when we are together, so then we have also a humanity that is, um, is a bit difficult to, uh, you know, maintain the same quality of humanity when we are working remotely. Um, and then it also enhances the communications, as as my brain mentioned again. Uh, you know the the use of uh, body language, and the, the the many options that we have to just talk to each other and meet at at you know when uh, we are going to pick up a coffee, just talking to our colleagues, um, uh, you know, just uh, uh, next to the coffee machine. These uh, uh, values, I think, very um, appreciated, and we all know that they make a very good uh, sense. The other thing is, I think, it supports also uh, mentorship and training, because it is always uh, a, very, a very best, um, you know, uh, quality, very best result-oriented uh, training sessions are when uh, you know we are just attend to hands-on. You know workshops and trainings so so i think um, there are many advantages but i agree also that um just back to the question that argument has that okay now we are uh, how can we facilitate to come back to uh office again uh, we have been away during the COVID 19 situation we have been away for for, for one and then uh, coming back to office how how can how can be accommodated and how can be facilitated i think um, uh, some of the things that we have experienced uh, and we have tried to uh, provide uh, to our colleagues here at my workplace is just uh, um, uh, providing them, as I mentioned, this hybrid working model. They can work from home and from office. And then uh, we, we are providing them flexible schedules so they can actually uh, plan their schedules based on their commitments and based on their preferences that helps a lot to just uh, uh, create a bit more confident uh, work uh, process and then we try also to create uh, we have just uh, established some good uh, new meeting rooms or workshop rooms in which provides the colleagues to just meet uh, at, uh, at the meeting rooms and and just use the record facilities to to work easier um, as well as we also try to pay attention to, you know, wellness and to uh, promote actually uh, our colleagues to 
no matter they're working from home or from uh, at office, uh, so they should always uh, uh, pay uh, very uh, special attention to their wellness, uh, mm. which provide also some uh, you know healthy snacks and uh, even. At the office, we have uh, decided to just go with green food. <laughs> so, uh, so there are some uh, initiatives that you're taking up, and much more. I just stop here, and uh, I think uh, that is my points at this. And back. Thank you, Benjamin. Maybe we'll come to you just before handing back over to Adrian. Yeah, um, Benjamin mentioned it uh, briefly. I think we should remember that it's not just new way of working for the people. It's also a new way of using the office space. So I also think it's very, very crucial to think about how can we then create these collaboration zones where the employees can like come together more and more socializing in, in their discussions and, and make these impromptu meetings and brainstormings from, from something that is like inspiring them and not setting by each one's desk uh, uh, as they did before. So I think we have to remember to do something about the office space uh, in order to get them to go back to the office as well. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. And Adrian, I'll hand it over to you to kind of round up your own question there. I think these are really good points. It kind of goes in line of it needs to be attractive and it needs to be useful for people to go to the office. We need to make it a place that people want to go, not that they have to. And there, I think we also touch on that. It, it might be that we have proven one of the things that we have proven also after working remote and with COVID, um, the, the whole pandemic was that the flexibility, you know, the trust on the employees. So maybe, you know, allowing people to go outside of the peak hours so they avoid the traffic jam so they can still go during the best parts of the day and um, for our teams to have really something to look forward to. Like, I don't know, whatever you were mentioning, Benjamin, that they have some really nice food, that they have a nice space that is creative, that there is some activities that they might like to do. Not because we need to, I don't know, you know, it's not a, a, a school field trip. It's not that we go to work to play, but to make it interesting, to make it attractive and that we our, our teams to get the best out of it. And I think also a way that is it's very important and when people look up to us, I think it's also important that to role model. And it's like, if we do want people to see the value of going, Somebody needs to be the first one that starts that loop. I have seen it in many of the teams around me and it's, you know, nobody's going because everyone is suspecting like, yeah, I don't go because the office is a little bit empty. I don't go because because somebody needs to be the first one that comes and kind of takes that first step. But hey, but come and we can meet here and we can have a nice time. We have the office by the, by the lakes in Copenhagen. So just, I don't know, making, you know, a nice time out of that. And instead of having a meeting, sitting in the meeting room, going outside and, having some face-to-face -face time together where uh, the, the the bandwidth of our communication is way higher than through uh, calls and raising the hand and it's way more formal and structured. So really, really nice points. I like the people-centric uh, touch that you're bringing and making it interesting for them to come. It's a great first question. Some great answers to start off the podcast. Thank you, guys. On to the next one. Maybe we're coming to you for the next question. You wanted to know from everyone, well, from the guys that are taking part and from the ones listening is, I'm about to add a new 100% remote colleague to the team for the first time. What are some of your best practices for onboarding uh, the new team where fully remote? Could you give us a bit of, I suppose, context around this before we pass it on? Yeah, absolutely. 
So all of my current team members have a location nearby that they are like connected to and that they can use in this hybrid on-site remote way. So, but this one new team member doesn't live near anything. <laughs> so the person is going to be remote all the time and not having any possibility to just come into some office once in a while. And that's completely new for me. So I would love to have your best practices for onboarding a team member that is always and being fully remote. Thank you, Maybrit. Benjamin, I believe you're first up for this one. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, that's a very uh, interesting question, Margaret. Thank you for asking that. Uh, I think uh, it is obvious that joining a new team is always a, a challenging uh, task because you need to uh, know uh, and learn about the processes, the work culture, the company, the people, and who are your uh, close uh, team members who uh, you will be working more. So, so there are a lot of things that uh, uh, it can go actually, um, uh, let's say, with uh, some challenges, even if we uh, meet uh, at the office face to face. So just imagine that if someone is sitting uh, far away and uh, everything is happening online, so, so then uh, how it is difficult to make sure that this transition is happening uh, even smoothly and uh, there is the best experience for onboarding the new team member. I think um, uh, what we have tried to do is, uh, uh, based on our learnings, is to, first of all, set a clear expectations. So try to just uh, clarify with the new team member that is joining us that what is their responsibility what they can expect uh, from their, uh, uh, their work uh, uh, colleagues and uh, how actually we collaborate. Even we try to provide them even with the, uh, the digital products or platforms that we utilize. How do we communicate? Uh, how often actually we celebrate? So we try to provide these informations uh, just uh, already from the very beginning uh, at the very first uh, sessions even before the, uh, the person is introduced to the rest of the company and then uh, we try to after that we try to have a very good orientation session with the, the new hire and also the uh, relevant uh, stakeholders relevant the key people that the uh, person is going to work uh, we try to set a uh, uh, video uh, meetings with each of the individuals that and uh, will have some uh, uh, you know a role in working with that new hire just to make sure that they uh, have uh, got the chance to uh, just know each other and uh, and just learn a bit about their uh, personal and also work experiences and then um, uh, in addition to that we try also to make sure that uh, before the new hire starts, so they are a bit familiar with our platform, so they know how uh, things work. Uh, we try to provide them a very quick hands-on training to learn our uh, platforms and applications. Um, the other thing that we try to do is uh, we call it like a body uh, system. It means that we try to link the user to a senior colleague, uh, someone that we call it a uh, go-to person. So it means that if for any reason you are um, struggling or have any question and uh, you don't know uh, what to do. So, so there is a 
send your colleague that you can always go to and ask uh, your immediate questions. Uh, in addition to that, we try also have some check-ins in the beginning, uh, some regular check-ins, uh, just to make sure that uh, things are going smoothly and there is no uh, uh, doubt or unclear uh, uh, processes or points that the new hire needs to know about it. And that way we receive also feedback uh, from the uh, new colleague to understand uh, what else we can do to make sure that that colleague is going, uh, you know, well uh, uh, in the transition uh, process. And then uh, uh, we try also to have this, you know, virtual uh, socialization. So I know uh, the COVID-19 had a lot of, uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, you know, like uh, the hard uh, times for all of us, but at the same time, it brought also a lot of good, um, uh, you know, learnings for us. And one of those uh, that we actually learned how we, how we can, uh, you know, still be social online and uh, we try to be creative to uh, have, you know, ritual uh, celebrations, parties, things like that. So, so I think if I have to summarize uh, the, the points, there are a lot of other things I can mention, but the, I think the very last point is uh, creating this culture of patience and understanding. Uh, we really should provide the space to the new colleague to just uh, get to know uh, everything and uh, we should just uh, make sure that uh, we are a very good onboarding team. Um, thank you. That is it. Thanks, Benjamin. And Adrian, uh, anything to follow that up? You had some really good points, Benjamin. Um, I think something that I could add is that once, uh, and there is the saying, once one person is remote, the whole team should think as remote because it will be easy that there will be conversations that happen at the office or that happen in person or physically. And this person that is not located, co-located in the same space, they might be missing out on that. So I think there might be, in your case, as it is the first uh, fully remote hire, that might require a little bit of a mindset change and to be extra mindful, be extra kind, be good, uh, let's say, colleagues to this person, as Benjamin is saying. Um, I really like on the, the one of the topics that you were also bringing, Benjamin, like the pre-onboarding and, you know, offering documentation ahead and so on. I think that's very good to prepare them. And I think that can also continue later uh, with documenting, especially the outcome of conversations, because then comes the paradox, right? We say like, yeah, the office is a really good space for collaboration, for conversation, for physical, you know, serendipity, but... We also want to be inclusive and 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 embrace also our remote colleagues that are not going to be physical. For that, I think my and this is my personal take. I think we should not discard these face-to-face -face chats because they can be very rich, but we need to be very uh, thorough, very uh, detailed, and documenting the outcomes of that. Hey, we had a spontaneous chat and we have uh, came up to this conclusion that will let's say result in this ticket or this process or whatever and. To also throw the question of, hey, what, what do the rest thing? And to make it inclusive, because otherwise you fall into the risk of you were not in that room, you were not part of that decision making. So in some cases also, that might require a little bit of embracing the asynchronous processes by the team. You know, instead of right here, right now, it might be right here, right now, we have decided 80%, but we still leave the door open for some final tweaks from people that couldn't join. 
physically. And I think um, something that can also help a lot and also related with the onboarding and pre-onboarding is um, to set up talks, to set up, set up meetings uh, to guide who's who in the team uh, to this new hire because they will not be able to go to the desk and just have a spontaneous conversation. So we need to guide them uh, and facilitate that they will know each other. Um, you know, without a transactional, because later there will be meetings, there will be projects, and it will be more transactional. But hopefully, we can also encourage that people know each other as people, uh, and that will also help a lot with creating a safe environment where they respect and value each other. And on on the socialization and and like having a, a space to chat, I think something that can help is also to have like in places with uh, that are not so serious. For example, we use quite a lot uh, Slack at work, so that there are also channels that are, you know, random channels that is for fun, for memes, for for a sport. I think that can also make this person that is not all the time at the office feel included and see what others are doing and, I don't know, a picture of the breakfast that they're taking together or things like that. It can humanize, you know, it's like, it's not that people are excluding you from these events on purpose, it's that they're just having a really good time together in person. But hey, they also want to share it with you. They send a picture, they send an, uh, a candid video, you know, something just to make people feel close to each other. And my last one, and this is a real, uh, like a pet peeve of mine, and especially with remote colleagues, really watch out for the audio. Because especially when you are in a meeting room, everyone is going to be talking to each other face to face. Fantastic. Everyone understands each other. But the remote person is going to be excluded lot, lots of time because the audio or video setup is not top quality. And that's a shame because what will happen automatically is that the person will participate less because doesn't want to feel um, interrupting all the time and doesn't want to be the one that is like, ah, sorry, can you repeat? Ah, sorry, can you repeat? Ah, I didn't understand that. At some point, you just get tired of that. You just give up and you don't participate. So it, you might have to think also for some specific meetings of high quality and interaction with each other, maybe setting up a policy of one laptop or one device per person. And that way, everyone is remote and everyone is going to have the same audio. Everyone can participate equally doesn't have to be for all meetings, but if you want this person to be able to participate equally, you might have to push in that direction so uh, they can participate in equal terms. Fantastic points there, guys. Maybe hopefully you've got some uh, inspiration. I'll hand over to you for some summarization. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. That was really great. I made so many notes. Uh, Benjamin, I, I noted that you really have a point in, in me facilitating, uh, enabling a lot of connections to key people so that they know where to go, when, and all of this how-to and processes. Uh, there's a lot of other things to show them uh, then where the toilet is when they are remote. So uh, this is a really great points. And Adrian, I make it, made a big fat note on your, if one guy's remote, everyone's remote, um, because that's that's really great. and. We have to uh, to talk about that in the team uh, before this uh, because it is a new mindset for us. So so that's really great and some good points on where to be careful and and how to be inclusive. So thank you so much. Well done, guys. Well, on that note, I think we'll move on to the next question. Benjamin, yours is up next. You're proposing to the guys, how do you approach building trust, fostering clear communication in a geographically dispersed team, especially when dealing with different time zones and cultural backgrounds? Would you like to give us some context before we hand it to Adrian? 
Yes, thank you so much. Um, yeah, of course. Um, um, uh, we we think that um, um, things can uh, get uh, done very really easily uh, when uh, we work just at the office and uh, we have all the people around us. But when um, uh, people are just located globally uh, with uh, different understanding of things, uh, different cultural background, and even time zones, then um, the simple uh, communication topics can actually get lost and uh, it can make it uh, difficult to make sure that there is a sure understanding about the things that we have discussed. I think uh, I think finding a communication uh, a model or form that uh, helps to make sure that we are really uh, uh, you know engaging everyone uh, in in the topic that we are discussing as well as how are we going to uh, you know um, uh, make sure that uh, the system that they have created the way of communicating with the team members is really what we expect because sometimes we think that it will just work and but maybe we need to make sure that it is also the same understanding for people that working uh, in many many different uh, zones uh, so i will be very thankful if uh, uh, adrian and margaret uh, could share their experiences with us and help us to enrich our um, uh, you know uh, communications and make sure that we are covering the things we need thank you that's a really good topic uh i think benjamin because like of course this whole uh remote team culture and everything that also touches with if we're remote it's also going to be easier that we're working with people from different backgrounds and culture so i think the first part it's just to embrace the diversity this might be new for some people you know because there might have been traditionally you work with the people around you because that's the jobs that you can ac access so that might be maybe the first sensibilization that you know collectively uh it's very useful to have and to embrace the diversity to explain why that is very positive because it is positive for business it has been proven we will have better angle on how um, we are serving our customers we will be able to represent them and understand them better so making sure that people not only accept that you know as ah oh, yeah we're different but also that they see the strength and the value on on that difference how it makes the team stronger um when you are working across cultures i think it the value of being explicit is even higher because the rules of engagement are going to be different across cultures um across countries and across you know how we what we expect from each other so i think being explicit having a handbook on what it is, how we are expected to interact with each other, how we expected to give feedback, how we are expected to uh, give negative feedback to and corrective feedback, or when somebody hurts us, how we let them know, or when we don't understand something, how can we follow up? These are things that for some it might feel like, oh yeah, but that's that's very easy, that's intuitive. But when you are working across cultures, that those lines can blur, and for what you is very obvious, it might be very rude when you are working with a colleague that has a different background. So being explicit on how you want to tackle these situations as an organization can make it easier to navigate. Um, and in general, when you are remote, when you are distributed, and but I would say that this is also kind of universal, I think you really need to encourage um, feedback, uh, like a culture of feedback, that uh, the feedback flows and whatever, you know, somebody 
feels like, hey, this is not really, this is squared. Like, it feels cringe, you know, for my background. That they are, they, they feel that they can say that and there is no offense and we will look into it and we'll look how to accommodate because we are really not in a uh, in an organization where we're going to offend each other. And transparency also, when you make changes to adapt, uh, to, to, to be more mindful and, and things like that, to also show that you listen, you adapt, and, and you are also learning as, as you go. Like the culture is something that you define together, right? It's how, how each one interacts with each other. So encouraging people to be the best version of themselves and then modeling that and, hey, this is who we want to be. This it. This is who we want to be as a group. And then when you're working across, so not only cultures, but also geographical um, uh, time zones, for example, I think it's also very healthy to, again, being explicit, you know, what are the times that you're expected to be in front of the computer? What is the, let's say, an, an, an acceptable response time during during office hours? Um, how can people let the colleagues know when they are working or not? Trusting that everyone will be doing it and you will check that in other channels, but that they also feel not policed, but that, you know, that just that there is a sense of still of connection and continuity across across time zones. And if you're remote, you're also going to have to find opportunity for fun, you know, to not only about work. Uh, that's also how we, people will connect with each other. We don't collect with each other as our roles and responsibilities at work. We collect because we are... Uh, fans of sport clubs and we like um, some specific food and we have a lot of fun with our family and friends. That's what makes us human, relatable, and that there should be also uh, embracing that part of ourselves and also have a, a place to channel that in, in some way. So people can also feel that it's not only work, 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 but being themselves at work, it's also part of connecting with each other. That's what I think it would come top of my mind on these uh, on these cases. Thank you, Adrian. And maybe you have a multi-located team. How have you been able to, to build trust and foster clear communication? Yeah, I have to say um, some good points from Adrian. And, and we did some of the, the things he mentioned already. Uh, I can get back to that later as well. But, but having guidelines, so everything that's usually in an office space is like unwritten rules, they really must be written rules. Uh, and not for them to be rules or nobody for must be police or anything, but it's just helping with expectations to each other. Um, and on the on the awareness side, I really try to promote for everyone to emphasize uh, each other's cultures and customs. So promoting it and encouraging them to learn about each other, talk about local things when we when we visit each other it's much uh, local foods and sports and so on but also empathizing the different cultural backgrounds uh, being curious and open-minded and uh, for instance we talk about different religions that we have often we have different bank holidays and so on and then we ask each other what is this about why do you have this day what's uh, what, do you then have some special foods or drinks or what and that's that's really fun to hear different cultures, uh, like when do they meet with their family and why, and so on. So, so this gives great conversations, in my opinion. Yeah. Thank you, Maybrit. Benjamin, some great points there to your question. How would you like to round it up? Uh, thank you so much, uh, both of you, uh, Adrian and Maybrit. I think um, uh, it is obvious that uh, you both have uh, 
uh, hands-on experience with these matters. And I already uh, noted uh, the good points uh, from Adrian. Uh, one of the things that I liked very much was just um, uh, encourage the team members, uh, the global team members to be based on the, the best of themselves, uh, encouraging transparency and being explicit, um, explicit in all manners. I personally have uh, realized that sometimes uh, maybe it is not enough that we think uh, the, the point is clear for us. We must, we must make sure that it is really clear and open and understandable for everyone in the team. And then my brain um, just uh, brought this uh, very good idea of just uh, being open-minded to, uh, you know, allow uh, the different uh, cultures to have a dialogue uh, uh, just and how can we provide it just by uh, finding the opportunities and uh, trying to, you know, uh, talk about, okay, what is this holiday and what is that about? Could you just explain um, to us and then also appreciate and respect that. I think uh, those points are uh, very useful and um, thank you so much. I think it has been uh, very good feedback and helpful. Thank you. Thank you for the great question, Benjamin. On to the next one, Adrian's second question. It's more focused in his eyes and experience working spread or remote or distributed can be more detrimental to people earlier in their careers. Senior people can almost navigate situations much better so how can you make sure that non-senior individuals grow and continue to grow in a remote setup and Adrian as always I'll come to you first yeah this is yeah, an observation because I think we have our experience and we have a we know how to navigate these things but when you are new to 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 work to the workforce and you don't know as we were saying what are the rules of engagement what's normal what's not I see that people in the beginning of their careers have way more trouble navigating this and how can we help them do this? Uh, what maybe tools, things that come to your mind uh, can be so we can also be embracing new people that is joining the industry. So we are not only optimizing for the ones that we are already in and we know how this works. So if you want me to start, uh, I, uh, I can yeah. uh, say that it's really important to have feedback culture in general. So talking about having these scheduled check-ins or one-on-one dialogues so that they can get the feedback and get some some like mentorship on where to where to move along how to do it and so on but also motivating them to work together peer-to-peer having collaborations and not being afraid sitting down with the senior and learning something and then promote this continuous learning so for them to keep on sharing knowledge and documentation with each other and praising it when they do so that they keep on inspiring each other and then for us as as leaders to support their efforts in doing it because it can be extra work on a senior and and really hard for a junior so so uh, supporting them in that but also making sure they have access to some different learning facilities Um, maybe they have some virtual um, access to something where they can seek some inspiration and uh, they can participate in some relevant forums or communities or so on. So so I think that's really important to just support their access to knowledge, uh, even if it's it's something they have to find uh, outside, but also inside uh, putting people together, making sure they, they 
learn from each other and uh, pass knowledge. I think that's that's my take on it. Thank you very much, uh, my friend. So um, uh, I would like also to share uh, my own experiences. And I think uh, I, I think uh, this is also, again, uh, we might all have experienced being a junior uh, team member, uh, especially when it is about uh, technical uh, uh, matters. Uh, so it is always a bit challenging to just uh, get engaged to the team and being accepted by the senior uh, team members. Um, uh, so uh, I think there are uh, a few things that uh, we can do uh, to help uh, this process to go better. And I think one of them, as we already discussed, is the uh, structure onboarding. Uh, an onboarding that uh, provides the uh, new uh, junior uh, team members to with all the information they need, uh, with all the uh, you know uh, uh, opportunities and options they have, uh, what are actually the company's development uh, policy, how do they uh, allow um, uh, employees to grow. And I think having this awareness, uh, which can be part of the onboarding process, uh, will help the new uh, uh, colleagues or junior colleagues to just um, find their place and just grow faster. Uh, the other point is, I think, providing some, uh, some kind of uh, mentorship uh, culture. So pairing just junior team members with some uh, more, uh, uh, you know, senior colleagues, uh, provide them, uh, you know, some kind of work structure that in which uh, the, the senior colleagues have uh, the awareness and the responsibility and respect that uh, the junior colleagues should also uh, one day become a senior one. And uh, this is uh, my duty and my responsibility to facilitate that. And then I think also uh, regular check-ins and feedback uh, sessions would be very good um, uh, because that will uh, provide us uh, with all the information we need to reflect on the processes and the way we are doing this uh, engagement. Um, and uh, that will help us to find out, oh, okay, now, uh, uh, you know, those methods are working very well, but there are also a few methods that maybe they need to be improved. And then I think the other point is that many of uh, junior uh, team members are actually very talented, but uh, they just need to have access to some more resources and more, uh, you know, like, um, training, online training uh, facilities, uh, books or whatsoever that they feel that it can help them to grow and learn the topic that they need to master uh, uh, and just, uh, uh, you know, uh, that would facilitate a much uh, small um, growth uh, process for them. And then uh, again, um, I think uh, one of the things that uh, enable people to actually do the things that we want to uh, promote in the company themselves is uh, investing on social interaction. I think, uh, believe it or not, but when human beings come together and when they are connected, when they can get by uh, to uh, some you know, form of uh, social 
interaction, then they automatically act, uh, help each other and they become just um, mentors and uh, let's say they give hand to each other even uh, not because of the company culture but just because uh, they are helping their friends. Um, so this is another point and the last point I would like to, just to mention is just um, uh, uh, having a more clear uh, career development path. So I think this will also help uh, the junior team members to understand actually how this uh, journey is happening, uh, what they can expect, what skills they need to uh, gain and what milestones they need to uh, pass so, so they can be there that they want to be. Uh, thank you. That's all. Thank you, Benjamin. And Adrian, this was kind of your observation. What, what were your thoughts? How, how do you address this? I think we have some really, really, really good uh, points and kind of practices. I, I really like this whole thing about making things more explicit, encouraging people and and also making it a responsibility of the more senior to grow, you know, the to take care of the not so senior, not so experienced people that are joining the team. Like developing that empathy, I think it's very important. And I think well empathy, anything that is done remotely is more difficult, but it doesn't mean that it's not possible. So I think with uh, some of the points that Benjamin and uh, my Brit were bringing, I think it can help a lot to create those connections that can help uh, foster uh, to to grow talent and to to make people feel, you know, to to discard that feeling of oh I'm not going to ask this this for sure it's a stupid question it's never because it's going to lead to 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 a learning so you really need to there but to there you need to be encouraged by your colleagues you know with a friendly face oh no that's not a, that's that's a really good question let me explain that to you or have a place where they can learn about that also, as we were mentioning. So really, really nice points. Fantastic, guys. Well, we're coming to our last question. Uh, it's kind of a special one, really, because um, maybe it's got something that she's very uh, passionate about and really uh, fascinated by. Um, so I'll give a brief introduction to the question, then maybe it over to you. Um, and it, it's looking at a topic more on uh, psychological safety. Um, she works with concrete measures to ensure the team has a high performance and a high level of psychological safety between members um, for the benefit of cooperation and performance. And I think you've got some things to share with us, I do believe, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I think it's so, uh, so important to have this high level of, of psychological safety in the team and it's it's talks so nicely into everything we discussed uh, during this this debate um just to define it uh, when i talk about psychological safety i um, i have my learnings from the howard professor amy edmondson if you know her um, she has this, this really extensive studies on uh, team culture and uh, high performance in uh, in teams and it is a shared belief that within a team or an organization that creates an environment where individuals feel safe, they are more willing to take risks and uh, express their own opinions or like seek feedback without having any fear of negative consequences. So it's it's really uh, harvesting some good culture and not uh, trying to eliminate conflicts or disagreements. It's just really trying to support and engage healthy debates within the teams so that they are more likely to 
share their innovative ideas, uh, learnings, and also failures, because that's just as important. So to enhance collaboration and creativity, I think it's really important as both as a leader, but also as, as being a team member that they actively cultivate psychological safety and demonstrate it by having some specific behaviors that they want to foster and uh, like to trust and respect each other in within within a diverse team that it is often when it's cross-cultural so for me it's not like a nice to have it's really a need to have uh, to foster high performing teams and they have to have a high level of psychological safety with each other and I use some specific tools for that, but before I go into that, I would love to hear if you have an awareness around this psychological safety. You, you like talked into it previously, uh, Adrian. You mentioned the handbook and so on. So I would love to hear your your statements on it. Thank you, Maybrit. Benjamin, we're coming to you first on this one. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, yeah, uh, that's a very great question. And, and I think it is also a difficult question at the same time. Um, uh, we know the importance of psychological safety. This is uh, even uh, based on the many researches, as Margaret uh, herself mentioned, um, done by different uh, uh, companies, uh, even by huge companies like Google. It, it is just uh, clear that um, without psychological safety, uh, achieving a high-performing team culture is almost impossible, and um, and that is a fact. And I think uh, um, uh, it requires, uh, 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 you know, uh, some good work uh, because I have uh, experienced that, uh, or I have uh, seen people that they are uh, just nice people. They are uh, kind and uh, respectful people. But, uh, but they have not just learned how to actually encourage and respect each other's opinions and uh, ideas. And um, this makes it difficult for people to just express their points because they are uh, worried if they might get punished or humiliated for speaking of their ideas and uh, or questions or concerns or whatsoever, even mistakes. Um, one of the questions that I asked my team members that, um, uh, what do you feel if, uh, do you think that, uh, it is okay for you to make a mistake or not? And, um, uh, I think, uh, 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 I'm happy that this is something now we have attention to it. We have just, uh, highlighted and we know that we really need work on that. But I think this is, uh, uh, at the same time, a very tricky, uh, uh, you know, I would say, a feature that we want, we want to uh, encourage and inject it to our teamwork uh, culture. Um, and it requires um, you know, some good work. But uh, it is definitely uh, one of the um, uh, critical uh, points that we need to uh, pay attention to. And... Uh, just in general, I personally need to feel safe. I need to feel like uh, if I express my opinion, my ideas, even if they are, if they sound stupid, so so no one is going to 
judge me or to uh, disvalue and discredit my point of view and and uh, I will be even encouraged to actually um, express more and more uh, ideas and opinions. Thank you so much. Thank you, Benjamin. Adrian, how have you been able to, to implement these? I, well, first of all, it's uh, I think when we're in a position of certain responsibility and we can have an influence on the on the work conditions, how we work, I think it should be always our uh, main objective. So it's something I pay attention and I try to get better at, but of course you never master it. But I think that should also be part of the philosophy and it connects with quite a lot of the topics that we have floating around earlier. And it's like the feedback needs to be able to really, really flow freely and that you feel, as you are saying, Benjamin, that you never feel penalized, punished for, you know, giving feedback of, I don't understand this, I was not able to complete things on time or anything like that, because then it will cause more of a defensive, reactive, a your ass attitude that is not good for, first of all, not good for people. That's not where we, nobody of us wants to be working. And it's also not good for business because then people are going to be defensive instead of being given their best. And I think creating these spaces, it's, we need to, they have the same, right? Like it's like as a, as a, your message is only delivered enough times when you are tired of it. Same with the feedback. We need to have as many feedback channels as possible and encourage people to use them all the time. Remind them that if they have anything about a presentation that you give, about a project, about how we have run things, improvements that we have made on processes, communication about the office, to always remind them, to remind people that, hey, there is these feedback channels that you can be using. You can, if possible, maybe not in a so Maybe in the earlier stages of a team, you need to still enable a lot of anonymous, you know, or let's say private uh, channels for people to to reach out. But eventually, as the team matures, hopefully you can also open more public discussions about topics. Because let's face it, it's very rare that one thing that that irks, you know, that irritates somebody, it's going to be only felt by that person. It's likely felt by more and encouraging also that spirit on people. And it's like, hey, when you are helping us by sharing this we can make the work conditions better that also helps the rest of your colleagues so thanking people for coming forward for sharing these things for for to letting them know that it's also part of their job to know that we are all we all have stakes and if we are empowering people we are trying to empower people also making them aware that it is expected that they will participate with improvements and that it is not only to come and work but it is also about creating the place together but of course, first they need to feel that, that there is that space for pushback, etc. So I think we really need to role model it also. And it's, you know, whenever we do improvements, whenever we do anything based on feedback, based on 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 on, on what we have received, also acknowledge and recognize uh, people that have participated. So we also give positive reinforcement to the ones that are, let's say, daring to come forward and be the first ones that are trying to test the waters of is it okay if I say that I don't like this meeting? It is fantastic because probably more people are feeling that it's a waste of time. But acknowledging that uh, that it's really good. And yeah, I think it's it's all about experimenting what works and maybe we start need to start a little bit more anonymous and, and closed channels, but trying to elevate that to the public so we do use our channels as a public forum uh, for constructive discussion where we respect each other, but we really see how 
different opinions are improving the the place where we work in. Thank you, Adrian. Maybe over to you to for the grand reveal. Uh, is there any of those practices that have already been said? It's it's really great to hear that that both of you are working with the awareness around this, just having attention around it, and as a leader promoting them to like working with it. Uh, I really love the way you said, Adrian, that it's a part of your job to do so. So uh, that's a really great way of saying it. Um, I introduced my teams to to the theories um, about three years ago, um, sharing it uh, to them and um, giving them some articles on what it is just to create a common baseline, but for us to work with it actively. Um, we started to use a tool or a framework um, called uh, Key Behavioral Indicators, so KPIs instead of KPIs as we know so well. So letting the teams work on their own set of key behavioral indicators has been awesome for us. So for them to sit down together and create some specific behaviors that they are expecting from themselves and each other, uh, defining their own desired outcome and expectations, and having that as their like guideline for everyday debate and having good discussions based on the agreement they have on how do we expect each other to behave in this team. So really clarifying their own way of how do we want to uh, communicate, how do we want to work together, what is our approach when we have difficulties and so on. And based on that, they have, I think it's five KBIs uh, that they like have all the time, but then revisit it almost like two times a year or depending on when we have new team members coming in, introducing them to them so they know this is like our written rules of behavior. And uh, if times change or like uh, anything uh, is needed, they they uh, maybe take away one KBI and add something new. Uh, and then they have some good discussions around what does this mean and why do we have this one? Does everyone know what we mean when we say no finger pointing, no blaming? Uh, does everyone know what it is when we say we want to have the musketeer principle uh, in our team? So we are one for all and all for one, no matter if it's good or bad and stuff like that. So they have those really great discussions about it. And then they can take that like handbook, like you mentioned it, uh, Adrian, on, on Benjamin's question. Uh, or their own guidelines and then take them up when they have like a hard discussion and then say, okay, please guys, remember our own KBIs. We have this rule of keeping it simple or whatever it may be. And then they have that to help them along the way. And I, I've just seen it been doing magic for, for my teams to have that framework. So I just wanted to share it for you. Thank you for doing so, Maybrid. Uh, it made for some great discussion and um, it leaves us on such a fantastic point as well. So I think for now, we'll leave it there. This has been the Evolution Exchange podcast. I really want to take this opportunity to thank Adrian, Benjamin and Maybrid for not only providing fantastic questions, but incredible insights into the topic. And of course, thank you for listening. If you would like to get involved with one of the upcoming podcasts, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn or via email at sam.williamson at evolution-nordics.com. But for now, see you next time. Thanks, guys.